Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon. Today is Sunday, July 12th, 2020, and I hate to disappoint everybody, but it's just me this week. Um, as I have mentioned, we are a proud member of the Time Skew Podcast Network, and yes, I'm wearing the shirt as a shameless plug. Um, but this week, I'm going to do something a little different, and I've done this before in episodes, but it's a five-part episode. I'm going to wear... We'd say four different hats for the Cavaliers, the Browns, Ohio State, and of course, baseball's here. So I'm going to give my prediction for the 2020 New York Mets as long as they get a season. And hopefully we can. We've had some positive tests in the last few days between with our oldest Chapman and now several other guys in the Yankees. You have players being put on the injured list with no explanation whatsoever. Uh, in Yoan Moncada, oh, out in Chicago. Uh, Alex, if you listen, I hope he's okay. We can get a season out of him as well because he is going to be a beast in Chicago. So before I get into the four different hats I'm going to wear tonight, I want to talk about some of the current events that are going on in sports media right now. Now, I don't claim to be a member of the media. I'm a guy who likes to talk about sports and has found an outlet to bring his opinions to more than just himself and his close friends. And his family, who doesn't like hearing it anymore. Um, and I want to talk about what's going on at ESPN and ESPN Radio, specifically with Mike Golick. Um, I feel a kinship to Mike Golick because he was born and raised in, and I spent my formative years in that wonderful land that is called Northeast Ohio. Uh, Mike was from Willowick. He went to St. Joe's High School, which is now Villa Angela St. Joseph, when they combined the girls and the girls only Villa Angela with St. Joe's to get them together. Uh, he went on to Notre Dame and was a captain at Notre Dame, like his brother Bob before him. He also was a nine-year professional football player with three different teams: the Houston Oilers, the Philadelphia Eagles, where he made most of his bones with his career, and his final stint with the Miami Dolphins at the end of his career. After that, he got into broadcasting. It was the Golick and Bruno show, which is really the first national ESPN radio show that they had when ESPN radio was born over 20 years ago. And then came the phenomenon that got all of us into sports every single day. And this is besides SportsCenter, obviously. But every single day of every single year of our lives. And that, of course, is Mike and Mike in the morning. I was an avid Mike and Mike listener. I would turn them on, my app on my phone, my car radio when you used to be able to get the ESPN radio out of New York City up in the Hudson Valley. I met Mike Golick in 2008. Mike and Mike um, were the main guests at an ESPN radio function where basically what you had to do was answer trivia questions about the Mets or the Yankees as it was the final year of both Shea and Yankee Stadium and the... Trivia contest uh, people who gave the correct answers were then invited to a meet and greet with, uh, believe it or not, it was uh, Max Kellerman was there uh, when he was working with Brian Kenny on ESPN Radio out of New York City. And then Mike and Mike were the main guys, and they had a drawing for $10,000, and I didn't win. Um, I did get to talk to Mike Golick that day. I got to talk to Greeny, too. I have a ticket stub from the final game I went to at Shea Stadium. Uh, Johan Santana pitched a three-hit shutout on one leg, basically, and beat the, uh, the then Florida Marlins to keep the Mets' playoff hopes alive. 
that ticket stub has Mike Golick and Mike Greenberg's um, signatures on it. Greeny made a joke about it now isn't worth as much because he signed it. Uh, Golick just kind of signed it and went on his merry way. He's a great guy. They're both phenomenal, as good as advertised. With the news that Mike Golick is being replaced by Keyshawn Johnson and Jalen Rose and Zubin Mahenti, I had to reflect on my time of being a fan of ESPN because I'm not a huge fan anymore. I feel they've gone too much NFL coverage and they're basically NFL Network Part 2. So I'm going to give my opinion on what they're doing. I hope it changes. Um, But as of right now, ESPN has lost a viewer and listener in its entirety. He is a National Radio Hall of Famer for a reason. This is the guy who, with Greeny, you built ESPN Radio on the back of, and they are doing him something dirty. I hope he gets a job at Fox and just destroys them. He'll never listen to this. Um, At least I hope someday he will. But Golick from one Northeast Ohio boy to another, good luck in everything you're going to do. You know, I did see that your wife had put out there that you had mentioned a reunion with Greenberg and ESPN shot you down. I don't know who's making decisions at ESPN right now, but there's something seriously wrong with them. That would have been something I would have welcomed from the start. My issues with ESPN are because they cover the NFL too much, but this guy, even with Trey Wingo and his kid, with Michael Jr., what a great show and what a great time. They had fun, and they brought you insight of not only a guy who's a former player, but can sit there and say to you, he's a fan too. We grew up with Mike Golick. We watched each of his kids sign their national letters of intent to go to Notre Dame like their mom and dad. We watched with them as uh, little Mike started his own career with ESPN, and we laughed and cried and grew up with Mike and Mike in the morning. I hope he catches on somewhere, and I hope he is just as good as he's always been. Golik, it's not on yet, but hats off to you. You are a phenomenal listen. You are still a phenomenal listen, and I hope they figure it out and keep you on the air because ESPN is just not the same without you, man. Op-ed over. So tonight, I'm going to get into all four of my teams, and as I said, I'm going to wear different hats, and I'm literally going to wear different hats. So we will start with the most recent of the one, of the big ones I got, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I put on my 2016 official locker room NBA championship hat. Why do I put this on today? Because it was five years ago, or six years ago, excuse me, this week, that we heard those faithful words out of the Just the Kid from Akron, I'm coming home. That's right, it's been six years since the letter. Six years since LeBron poured his heart out as to why he was coming back to Northeast Ohio to win the Cleveland Cavaliers a championship. Now, yes, he's left again. But LeBron in those four years, and they're hanging right there in chronological order on my door. The 2015 Eastern Conference Championship, where if he would have had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving in the finals, they would have won that championship that year, meaning it would have went back-to-back in 2016 when they got this one. The 52-year drought was crushed on Father's Day 2016 by the LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers 
two more consecutive NBA Finals appearances. And then, of course, he decided to take his career to the West Coast to not only hit up his basketball options, but also his options outside of uh, basketball. But the other reason I bring up the Cavaliers is they're now talking about a second bubble where the teams that were not invited to go into the bubble in Orlando would play in Chicago in September. So the Cavaliers would be there. Um, as I said in my Cavaliers season in review, I was a big fan of this season. I was a huge fan of this season. With my guy Larry Nance and Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, who I absolutely adore the way they play off each other, Kevin Porter Jr., Kevin Love's veteran leadership, the acquisition of Andre Drummond, the continuing of Tristan Thompson's career in Cleveland as a cornerstone of the franchise has been off the charts. I enjoyed this season immensely. Not as immense as this season, of course, because it ended with a title. But I enjoyed this season immensely. I really believe this Cavaliers team is on its way up and just they just need a little something. I don't know if it's a superstar or I or is it the maturity of the young kids who could be superstars that they have already. I hope it's the latter. Cuz I would love to see them have these two kids grow with this franchise and keep them in Cleveland. The city has opened its heart to Sexton and Garland. Uh, we're going to get to see Windler, hopefully, if they go into the bubble and he's able to play. Um, you still have Delhi there. You still have um, Jetty Osman, who is another one of my favorite players. You guys have seen in the episodes before, the Larry Nance Jr. jersey is the one that usually hangs behind me. Tonight, it's the Big Recon Ohio State jersey. But it's this is going to be a fun team, I think, for years to come. Uh I'm excited if they end up going into the bubble and doing this. I would love to see how this team can progress now as opposed to waiting until we decide when we're going to get a season next year. So having said that, am I worried about what could happen with the health risks? Absolutely. But if I'm going to be optimistic and I think they can control them, I really look forward to seeing the Cavaliers play again. They were, again, a fun watch, even though it wasn't the best season uh, in Cavs history. It was another one under 500. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot to look forward to in the in the wine and gold. So now I'm going to change hats, but stay in the same town. As you can see, my bald head again. And that is the newest member of my collection. My new sideline. Cleveland Browns hat. So I want to talk specifically about the Browns offense, which a lot of people, um, I don't know if it's pro football focus or if it's another one of those um, statistically run websites, they really believe the Browns have the most weapons in an offense in the entire NFL. When you have Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Austin Hooper, uh, then we get to Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashard Higgins, now adding Donovan Peoples-Jones to that mix. The Cleveland Browns are set. They fixed the offensive line. They've given Baker every single thing he has basically needed as a quarterback. This could be a huge year for the Cleveland Browns. I don't think they win the AFC North because I think Baltimore is just too good. With the addition of Dobbins and the defense getting better with... Um, 
with Patrick Queen at linebacker. I, I think that's going to be a tough out. But I can see this team getting to the playoffs, and they are built for the playoffs on offense. Good offensive line, good, great running game. I mean, they saw it. Chubb had the worst run-blocking offensive line in the NFL last year, and had he not basically sat out the final game because Freddie Kitchens was an idiot, he would have won the rushing title from Derrick Henry. Sorry about that. Um, I am looking forward to what the Browns will do this coming season. Uh, they have done something cool. The ticket, the season ticket holders have been given the okay to basically get their money refunded because it's going to be a tough year. We may not see fans in stands. We may see other types of things in the stands, like you see with the KBO, where they have the uh, stuffed animals. You had robots in one of them, a robot dog and a robot person were out dancing in the outfield. The weirdest thing I ever saw, but it's during a baseball game, so it was watched. But going back to it, the Browns, I think, have a team that if they get to the playoffs can make some noise because of the way they're built. I think their defense got better with adding Grant Delpit to the back end. I think Sione Takitaki and... um, and Wilson are going to run that um, the linebacking core, and the defensive line is great. They just restructured Olivier Vernon's contract. You get Miles Garrett back. Richardson and Ogunjobi in the middle are great tackles. So listen, the Browns are built to win. It's just can Stefanski put it all together, and can they come up with a scheme that's going to fit the talent they have? I think they can. I said it before, I think having Case Keenum as their backup is a great move. Not because if Baker falters, he can play. But Case Keenum is the guy who got the the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game with the Minnesota Miracle. He knows how to run Stefanski's offense. He can help Baker adapt. And Baker, with his talent and his moxie, is going to be the one to get the job done. So I like the Browns to go to the playoffs this year. I know I picked them at 11-5 and five when I did the schedule reveal. Um, I will stick to that, but I think Baltimore's just going to be one or two games better. And we're going to see the Browns play on the road in the playoffs. Maybe Baltimore falters one or two times when we get a home playoff game in Cleveland in January, which would be absolutely nuts. So now we're going to jump on I-70. And we're going to go down to that city that is maybe being renamed Flavortown, Columbus, Ohio. As I don my third hat of the night. And that is a locker room hat from the 2019 Big Ten Champions, the third consecutive Big Ten Championship, and the first for Ryan Day after the first two came with Urban Meyer. So, we don't know if we're getting a college football season. Uh, a lot of positive tests at Clemson. Other programs have had that. The Big Ten this week announced they will only have a conference schedule. They will not play out of conference. So that huge game against Oregon is going to have to wait. Both schools have said that they will reschedule it to play in Oregon. Um, came out a few weeks ago that somehow, if he's still there, Nick Saban's coming out of the South. And we are finally going to get a home-and-home home with Alabama in a couple of years, I believe it's 2026 and 2027, Bama comes here and then the Bucks go to Tuscaloosa. If I could find a way, I want to go to that game. 
because I want to see Alabama fans basically try and buy out the horseshoe and lose. I want to see Alabama players who wanted to stay in the South play a road game in one of the most hostile environments they will ever see. This will make Auburn look like romper room. Buckeye fans have been asking for this. Another shot at Saban and Bama since the Sugar Bowl in 2015. Got the national championship hat right up there. We've been asking for it, and now we're going to get it. But beyond that, Ohio State has been doing something the last probably 10 or 15 years. They have been playing the big names out of conference. You go back to the Trestle era, and you had a home-and-home against Texas. You had a home-and-home against USC. You had a home-and-home against Miami and Florida. You get into the Urban Meyer, um, the end of Trestle, the beginning of Urban Meyer, you had a home-and-home with Cal. You had a home-and-home with Virginia Tech. Had a home-and-home with Oklahoma. Um, They have one coming with Notre Dame in the next few years. The one with Oregon in the next two. You have one coming with Texas and Tom Herman. You have one coming with Alabama, as I said. Ohio State plays those tough games at a conference, and then... In what may be the toughest division in all of college football, they have to run the gauntlet every year of Penn State with, if they're on the road, it's the whiteout. And if they're at home, it's still a tough game. You get Michigan State, and Sparty's not an easy out. And then, of course, you get the game at the end of the year where you're playing against your bitter rival. And yes, the last two years have been blowouts, but before that, they've all been close games. You had the comeback by Haskins in 2017 at the big house. You had the one point win. You had the uh, overtime win in 2016. 15 was a route. 14 was close when they went to the championship game. Um, the year before was uh, was close up at the big house. Tyvis Powell saves the season. Um, was the call on the game? Uh, Brad Nessler made that call. You had the year before at the Horseshoe Urban's first year when it was a close game right to the end. You have the great game in 2006 when the winner went, when Ohio State won, they went to the national championship game. Again, pass to the end zone with no time left. If that's not picked off, uh, they win that game, and Ohio State does not win that national title against against, uh, Miami. But the other reason I want to bring up Ohio State tonight is the all decade team for the Big Ten came out, and it is checkered in scarlet and gray. I'm only going to go over the first, the Big Ten first team. I think there was a couple of omissions, if you ask me, but that's just me. Um, first and foremost, the Big Ten all-decade coach is none other than Urban Meyer. 89-9 and nine at Ohio State. He lost four times in the Big Ten. Or five times in the Big Ten, excuse me. Um... He won more games against that team up north than he lost. Or he lost. He was 89-7. Excuse me. Um, turned a 6-7 and program into a 12-0 and should have been in the national championship game program in one year. One year. They had nothing to play for in 2012. And he ran the table. They got the 24 straight wins. They lost the Big Ten Championship game, and they lost the Orange Bowl in 2013 and 20, and in obviously January 2014. And then there's that magical year, 2014 and 2015, where we first read the name of the all-decade quarterback for the Big Ten, J.T. Barrett. 
Barrett's at every college every um, college career record at Ohio State and in the Big Ten. His single-season marks were all broken by Dwayne Haskins the year after he left. He had the most wins at Ohio State. He was the first quarterback to ever go 4-0 against a team up north. He set the record for passing yards. He set the record for passing touchdowns. And in his defining moment as a member of this program, had the phenomenal one-point comeback win against Penn State after being down a couple of touchdowns to a Penn State team that had guys like Mike Gesicki, Saquon Barkley. They had a great team. And he brought them back. On the offensive line is the other member of the first team offense for Ohio State, and that is Pat Elfline, who was a guard and a center in his time at Ohio State. He was a guard uh, and the championship run, and then when Jacoby Bourne graduated, he became the center, and now he is an all-pro center in the NFL. Elfline protected and helped the running game of guys like J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott, Mike Weber, J.T. Barrett, Cardell Jones. Braxton Miller, uh, who, by the way, was the all-purpose guy on the first team, was Braxton Miller. So those are the two guys that were on offense for Ohio State. Now, the defense featured three first-teamers, and there is no arguing. But I'm going to start with the guy in the back end, and that is Malik Hooker, who in his one year as the main starter at safety had six interceptions and three touchdowns. He brought himself from nobody, from a relatively unknown, and I'm a giant Buckeye fan, and I follow that team like crazy. I can name some two and three down the list to a first-round pick of the Indianapolis Colts, and he has been as good as advertised since he went to Indy. Um, great ball hawk, had a touchdown against the team up north, has played phenomenally in the NFL. And then you have the scariest bookends at defensive end you could ever hope for if you are a Buckeye fan. Because on one end, you have the man who went number two in the NFL draft this year in Chase Young, the predator, the absolute monster. He's fast. He's strong. He can run down running backs. He can probably drop in a coverage with some of these guys. And he sacked the quarterback at a rate that no Ohio State player had ever done before, including his first-team teammate on the other end in Joey Bosa. Now, Joey Bosa was quiet, did not start his freshman year. And then you started hearing his name as he sacked Connor Cook over and over in the Big Ten Championship game when Ohio State lost to Michigan State to end the winning streak. Bosa and Chase Young on the same defensive line would get every single quarterback nightmares for months before and after the game. So Ohio State was very well represented on the Big Ten All-Decade team, and there was no question as to the guys who were on it. Me personally, I think Michael Thomas maybe could have been on there uh, at wide receiver. Maybe even J.K. Dobbins is one of the running backs. But Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley, you can't argue with those. Um... Those are really the only other guys I think I would put on there. Um, so here's hoping we have a college football season because Saturdays won't be the same unless I'm suiting up and I'm watching the Buckeyes every Saturday. I'm looking forward to the game this year. I'm looking. I was looking forward to Oregon because I thought they would give them a unique insight on what Oregon would have to do to get back into the national championship picture, and I thought 
this could be the year Justin Fields wins a Heisman. I don't know if we're going to get it. There's a lot of questions, but I hope we get college football coming in the fall. So those of you who have listened before know there is only one more hat to put on. It is a hat we have seen before. It is the oldest fandom in my life. It is the team that I wanted to make my profession. And that is the New York Mets. Baseball season is here. If I thought I could do it and get away with it, I would play Meet the Mets right now on the air. But I probably wouldn't get away with it, so I'm not going to. We are finally getting the 2020 baseball season. As you heard, Tone and myself and Alex last Sunday, we are so excited. I have watched batting practice several times in the last few days. I have watched Ioannis Cespedes hit absolute moonshots. I have watched Pete Alonso hit the facing of the third deck like it was nothing. The flying squirrel is hitting the cover off the ball. Michael Conforto was walking around like he was Ken Griffey Jr. today with the hat on backwards and the muscle shirt. You have Brandon Nimmo who is healthy and able to hit leadoff. This is a lineup that even Keith Hernandez thinks is going to rival that of those 86 Mets. And then we get to the pitching. You have who I believe will be will win the third consecutive Cy Young and Jacob deGrom. You have Marcus Stroman who's pitching for a contract. You have Steven Matz who is playing at home still and is trying to make his way into the upper echelon of starting pitchers. And then for depth, Brody Van Wagenen brought in Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. Now we need him because of the injury to Noah Syndergaard. Seth Lugo still out in the bullpen. I think Juris Familia is going to be a lot better. I think that Edwin Diaz can fix his problems from last year because I believe they were mechanical and mental. This is an exciting year, and I don't want to talk about misfortune, but the Mets open on uh, exactly one week from this coming Friday on the 24th at 4.10 p.m. at City Field against the Atlanta Braves without King Felix, without Freddie Freeman, first and foremost. Freddie Freeman, get well soon. He actually has COVID. Um, He has been symptomatic, and he's been very, very sick. My heart goes out to him and his family. I hope he gets better soon. And we see him back on a ball field playing. He is one of the best players in the game. I respect the snot out of him, but he plays for Atlanta and I can't have it. Um, no Nick Markakis, who has sat, decided to sit out the season. No Tuki Toussaint, who has also decided to sit out the season. So the Mets have a good chance to get off to a really good start against a very good team in Atlanta because Albies and Acuna are still there. Soroka's going to pitch opening day against Jacob DeGrom. Just like if they open for real. The Met lineup is something that Keith Hernandez talked about in a New York Post article, like I just mentioned. And the lineup he gave, I thought was absolute brilliance. And I would do it this way if it was me. I would lead off uh, Brandon uh, Jeff McNeil as opposed to Brandon Nimmo for one reason and one reason only. We are going into this year with a universal DH. We don't need... Nimmo to hit leadoff and McNeil to hit second. We can break up the lefty-righty the whole way down the order. So you hit Nimmo leadoff playing center field. Pete Alonso bats second at first base. Michael Conforto would bat third and play right field. Ioannis Cespedes would bat fourth and be the DH. Robinson Cano will bat fifth and be the second baseman. Wilson Ramos will bat sixth and catch. Brandon Nimmo will bat seventh and play center field. 
Ahmed Rosario will bat eighth and play shortstop. And then you have a choice. You can bat Nimmo seventh, or you can bat Nimmo ninth. And in the seven hole, you do the platoon of J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith in left field. This lineup, you and especially with the pitching um, rules for this year, where you can't use a specialist, you can go left, right, left, right, left, right, and not be able to be picked apart by a bullpen. The lefty specialist is going to go away after this year, but the thing is, there are certain lefties who can pitch to both sides of the plate. Justin Wilson from the Mets is one of them. Brad Brock, who isn't in camp, and they're not telling us why. Same thing with Cano. Can pitch to both sides of the plate. This team, I think, can win that division. I have said last week on the episode, look, the Nationals, I don't know what ESPN and everybody's love for the Nationals is. Because now Soto has no protection. Max Scherzer couldn't pitch game six because of a bad back. Uh, Strasburg is an injury report waiting to happen. Patrick Corbin's never thrown that many innings in a season. The back end of the rotation, they took their number four starter and shipped him to Cincinnati, who is going to be insanely good in Tanner Roark. They still don't have a back end of the bullpen that anybody can trust. I don't know what the love affair is. And the Phillies, the Phillies don't have a bullpen. They did add Zach Wheeler to go with Aaron Nola and to go with Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta in that rotation. So they are solid. But they're not they're not the world beaters people think they are. I'm sorry. The biggest move the Phillies made was bringing in Didi Gregorius. That's going to be the one that's going to give everybody the hardest time. So 2020 kicks off. In a little over a week, we get a nice treat this weekend in our area. The Mets are playing the Yankees in two um, exhibition games on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to coming up. The NHL is coming back. For anybody who likes hockey and listens to this, Alex from Row 7 is actually doing a bunch on the NHL in his last episode. We're that much closer to college football. We're that much closer to the NFL. We haven't heard anything about the bubble other than they're practicing and people hate the food. Sports is coming back and hopefully it's tempered to where we won't have any flare-ups and having to cancel it and having that hope just yanked out from under you. So the last thing I wanted to mention while I still got the Mets hat on is that MLB has already released their schedule for 2021. A little early, but of course they got to keep in everybody's mind. And for the first time in a long time, Major League Baseball got something right. On September 11th, 2021, we will be at the 20th anniversary of the most horrific moment in this country's history since Pearl Harbor. Everyone remembers the song that Alan Jackson wrote, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? I was working in upstate New York. My daughter, who is now 19 and will be 20 by the time of this event, was three months old. On September 11th, 2021, at City Field, basically the backyard of where all the relief efforts were being headquartered, the New York Mets will play the New York Yankees in a spotlight game. 
A friend of mine on Facebook said, if Mike Piazza's not there, somebody didn't do their job. And I agree. I'm going to tell you guys a story, and I'm going to wrap it up. Of course, Piazza hit the home run on September 21st. And believe it or not, the Mike and Mike story at the beginning is tied into this. Because the trivia question I answered correctly to be able to go to New York City to ESPN Zone in Times Square and meet Mike and Mike. The trivia question was, when Mike Piazza hit the home run on September 21st, 2001, who was the pitcher that gave up the home run? The pitcher was Steve Carsey of the Atlanta Braves, who went, who was born in Queens. So it all kind of ties together. This is a game that I think will be more than a game again. This is, these are the two teams that brought the city back. If anybody's watched nine innings from ground zero, it starts with Piazza's home run. I was home that night, and my daughter was sitting in my lap. She's three months old. We were watching the Mets. And she did this with her little hand. Right before Piazza hit the home run. Nearly 20 years, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. Like I remember the 11th. On a happier note, we get baseball this weekend. And it's not inter-squad games. We get the Mets and Yankees. Get well soon. Aroldis Chapman uh, was released. He has COVID as well. Um, Yankees are hurting. And it's the injury bug and everything else that's hitting them. And I feel terrible because I would love to have seen them in a World Series. But I don't know if that's going to happen. So next week, I'm going to come at you with a little bit different of a show. I'm going to dive into a couple of things that are a little bit different than what I normally do. I'm actually going to do a little fantasy work, believe it or not. I'm going to lean on my guys at Timeskew a little bit because I want to see what I... I'm going to try and predict what the Cleveland Browns are going to do on offense this year in a best-case scenario. I'm going to go through their schedule. I'm going to dive into what I think the, uh, the numbers in this offense can be, starting with how well they protect Baker Mayfield and how well Nick Chubb can get out in space. As always, Big Recon can be found at timeskew.com as part of the Timeskew Podcast Network on Anchor, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, YouTube, Big Recon on Sports, where you're watching this right now, Facebook, Big Recon on Sports, Twitter, at Big Recon on Sport, and of course, the newest, the Instagram co- uh, account, at Big Recon on Sports. Everybody, enjoy the lovely weather that's coming. Hopefully, no one got hit by the storm the other night. I will see you next week with my first real football focus show in a long time. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next week.